Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Marco Radicevic and John Salome. I've known these guys for, it's been over 30 years. John went to the same grade school that Nick and I went to in Mississauga. Marco and I went to the same, and Marco went to the same high school that Nick and I went to in Mississauga. Actually, it was so busy, Mississauga was exploding at that time. For a few years, they shipped us off to a backup school in Etobicoke and they bust us all over there. So we all grew up in Mississauga, but we were a little bit all over the place. And on this episode, we don't get into some of the shenanigans that we've all been through over the years. And maybe next time we'll dive into that because there definitely are some. But on this episode, as your first introduction to these guys, really wanted to dive into their entrepreneurial experience. We talk a lot about entrepreneurship here at Rockstar. You know, together with real estate, we feel that starting your business is one of the paths to freedom. And these guys not only started one business, but they they started that business, grew it successfully, then were approached to sell the business. They sold that business, took some time off in their early 30s, and then came back and started a second business that's become even more successful. So they're in the IT staffing field, and I, I really just wanted to pick their brain on how they viewed that experience, what they think when they reflect back on starting that first company, what they think about starting their second company, some of the fears that they maybe had when they started. So just wanted to dive into that so we can learn from some entrepreneurs who are doing things right here, local Canadians who are really doing stuff. So I want to pick their brains around that. And then we dive into some of their real estate decisions. They've recently made some real estate decisions and wanted to get their thoughts on that. And then we dive into the economy a little bit, kids a little bit, and go all over the map. So really just two great guys, very thankful to get these guys to share their story. They don't do this often. So I really think it's cool when we can get local Canadians right here in the greater Toronto area who are buying real estate, starting companies, and then willing to share their story so that we all can benefit. So if you are listening to this and you want to dive into some of your own real estate experiences and you're not sure where to start, one of the most popular things that you can grab from us is a free copy of one of our books. The most popular one that's been downloaded we, we need to check this, but I, I got to think we're past 100,000 copies at this point. It's Income for Life for Canadians. We give away free copies of that book at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. So that's www.rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. We actually have four different books there. They're all available to download for free. And the reason that we give those books away for free is that we're hoping we share enough good information with you that eventually if you want to go ahead and buy some income producing real estate and some capacity that maybe you'll reach out to us and we can do business together. So that's the purpose behind giving away the free books. We are really trying to give away good information, stuff that we wish we had found when we were beginning. So that's it for now. Let's get on with the episode. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life your term show with Tom and Nick Caradza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live. And uh, Nick, you can hear me okay? Loud and clear. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. that's the important part. I just realized something. There's three people from St. Martha and Mary here and one from St. Basil. All that matters oh is that God. we can, is that, uh, there's multiple people here that now they can comment on, uh, make fun of you and stuff. Yeah, we can corner you. Well, this proves that Martha and Mary is better than Basil. Oh, no, no. I was talking about the three, three, of, the three of us ganging up on you. Well, there's that part. Oh, on me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I was ready to gang up on Marco. See how he just ignores it? Yeah. Just like, the way I interpreted that, though, is, you know, you always talk about gold, and gold is a rare commodity. So to be a rare commodity in this you room is actually something special. Oh, got it. Oh, yeah, no, Jesus. Oh, jeez, yeah. Way to go. I'm leaving. Hey, I'm that done. was nice. You brought in monetary policy right at the beginning. There was like no that. commodity or rareness coming out of uh, East Mississauga. Oh, so, uh, yeah, we are live with Marco Radicevic and John Salome and Nick Caradza. And uh, Marco and I have known each other since sometime in high school. I don't remember the grade. John, I heard of the legend of John Salome in grade school. <laughs> and we've known each other for some time. But listen, I wanted, I wanted to start off by asking you guys this whole entrepreneurial journey. I don't think you guys think of yourselves as entrepreneurs for some reason. We do not. Yeah, I, I know. I can tell. But you started that first company, Gen X. What was the second name part of it? Gen X Corp? Gen X Group. Gen X Group. Gen X Systems Group. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah Gen X Systems. You're right, you're right, yeah, you, sold, yeah. you sold it and then you started um, Nexus. Is it Nexus Group? Yeah, Nexus Group. When you went to go start the second company, were you? what was going through your mind? Were, like, were you scared that you couldn't pull it off? that it might not work? Like what was going through your mind when you you took some time off and then you start the second company? What's it called, the sophomore album? 
isn't it? In, in oh, music, I don't yeah, know. they always say yeah. the first album, the big hit, the second one has all that sort of pressure Risk to it. Yeah, yeah. I, to- I totally felt it. You did, I didn't eh? Feel it at all? No. <laughs> Wait, but, but why? So, John, why did you feel uh, it? Less about trying to be successful. More, it's like two, uh, one, two kids, and now it's like I'm building a company, and I actually have mouths to feed. I sold, didn't have as much as I thought I would. So yeah, there was a lot of pressure. I thought. Why didn't you have as much thought of work from taxes? Uh, yeah, that was a big part. But and at I the time, you got to remember. So to our earlier conversation, all of us, I think, where we grew up, none of us were wealthy, right? We were sort <laughs> I thought of, you were going to say none of uh, us were rich. No, <laughs> no, no, no not, not super rich. wealthy. But but in, in my opinion, I think we grew up in relatively I, I hate middle class. Words. Middle. Well, I was a bit lower to middle class. I would say I was way lower. And he he always argued. <laughs> yeah. So so when when they first came and they're like, hey, we want to buy you and, and et cetera. We just the number in my mind was much bigger than it actually was. Yeah. When you realize. You're not going to make a ton in dividends. You just started a family. I'm not like, it was just a bit overwhelming after sort of the first. And then my wife, and I think your wife as well, maybe went a bit crazy spending at the very beginning. But you also sold that first company young. Like, how old were you guys? No, I'm you... not commenting on that one. <laughs> I just stay clear of that <laughs> no, comment. But when you when you sold that company, how, how, how old were you guys? I was 32. 32? So I would have been 34. Yeah. There's a huge part of your life. So whatever money you yeah. thought you were going to get, there is a lot of life left to be mm-hmm. lived. I, I think that, uh, you know, the... For me, uh, going back to what John said, coming from a like a low middle class family, um, graduating university, uh, having just a general arts degree, which you know you you go into the world, you have no idea what you're going to be. Uh, I would have taken if someone the day I finished university, if someone would have put a contract in front of me and said, "Here is an inflation." Getting back to monetary policy, but <laughs> here's an inflation adjusted contract for eighty thousand dollars a year for the rest of your life. I would have cut my finger and signed it in blood. Um, and I think what happened was when we started Gen X uh, and we started making more money than I thought I was ever going to make, um, it, it feels like for me, it's been gravy since then. Um, I still have very um, low uh, expectations on what I need to live. I don't need uh, an expensive car. I don't need a big house. And it's not to say that if I have the money that I'm not going to go and get those things. I'm not going to just sit on a pile of cash and not enjoy those things, but I don't need them. So I never felt that pressure. Um, when we had Gen X or when we started Nexus. This goes back to the nature and the differences between John and myself. John always felt pressure. John's actually changed a lot, though, in the last five, six years, maybe even more than that. But uh, one of the reasons why we sold Gen X, I had difficulty working with John at the end. John was an extremely stressed out person at that point. Um, And we were doing a lot. Stressed out about what? Business. Just not succeed, not having enough money to pay the bills in the business? No, no. The ongoing joke, I think, when we initially started Gen X, the first one, our initial plan literally was if we get 10 people billing on assignment and we each make between 80 and 100 grand a year, we're done. We'll just live off the golf course. My problem is, is once we hit 10, I wanted 20. Once we hit 20, I wanted 80. Once we were at it, and he was a bit more relaxed. And I was like, no, 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 we're, we're at 120. Like we need to get to one for, and I would, my brain would just go crazy about like, I, there was no end in sight in my opinion. I just kept wanting to grow. When you, when you hear me and John talk, it'll sound like there's a huge Canyon in between how we think that's not really yeah. the case. It's just that, you know, when him and I are alone in a room, it seems like there's a big difference. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I want to succeed as well. You know, but what would happen was John and I would put, you know, metrics in place just between the two of us, these are our goals. This is what we want to be at. And we'd often define that by number of heads that we would put out into the market. Um, and we would say, you know, we want to be at 75 by the end of the year. By the end of the year, we were at 150. And then there was some sort of adjustment in the economy and we'd be down to 125. John would shit his pants that we were at 125. <laughs> and I'd say, like, we're still 25 over what we thought we were going to be. So John always had a bit more of a paranoid um, approach to business than me, but that Which was good. Could be useful. Oh my God. That yeah. was incredibly we useful. We always talk about short-term paranoia. hundred yeah. yeah. percent useful. Yeah. You know, like John was the guy that just kept us going. You know, I was single back then, no wife, no kids. I was hanging around a lot with the guys and they'd be like, Hey man, what? It's like uh, three o'clock. A lot of the construction worker buddies would be like, just come meet us at the bar. And I have, uh, an immense amount of guilt. I was just raised with guilt <laughs> in my life. And if John was staying, I wasn't going to leave. So, you know, I didn't just stay and just sit there and surf the internet. So I stayed and worked. And it was, you know, that's why I give John a lot of credit was his paranoia, his um, constant, we need to grow, we need to grow. That was a huge benefit to Gen X. Where did the guilt come from? I don't know. Just 
my parents, right? You know, like, I don't know. Like just, a, you're not good enough guilt no, or no. you're not working hard enough guilt? You're not working hard enough. You know, all you deserve in life is a warm meal and heat and some clothing. You know, everything else on top of that is gravy. And I've kind of just continued to, to, to think that way for my whole life. We have that a bit too. Like if you're, if I'm here late or you're here late, and I'm leaving one or the other. It's just like, you know, can I help with anything? Like, you're okay. You know, I, and, and maybe not so much anymore, but before it was, it was more of that. Like I, I felt bad if, yeah, I if Nick was, was working and I yeah. wasn't working, it was like, Oh shit, I got to be doing something. Yeah. You know, it's probably a good, like with a partnership, you know, it, it can be unhealthy. But it's probably a good thing to have, too, because if you just went to the bar and you didn't give a shit, I'm sure there's going to be times when you were uh, uh, back then when you're like, what the heck, man? This guy's just gone to the bar and I'm sitting here busting my ass. Yeah. Right. I got to be honest with you, though. I actually never felt that ever. That's mm-hmm. what I think made us successful as partners. Yeah, there was never they, a like he may have innately felt guilty, whereas I looked at it as no, he's he he wants to work because he sees us in this together. Mm-hmm. Had he gone to the bar. I wouldn't have really I'm, cared. I'm, I'm, I'm more similar that way a little bit. We're both like you just described, Nick. But if Nick needs a break, I'm like, yeah, you just take a break. You know, do what you need to do. I actually will think it will benefit us because yeah. I know how hard he works so that if he's going to go out, not that you ever go golfing, but if you were to go out golfing, I'm thinking that's good. He's taking a break. He's going to come back stronger and better. Yeah. How would I end up with the gym? I yeah, yeah, he was <laughs> the gym's the right example. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. I can go to the gym a second time today. This sounds great. Let's go. It's funny. I've always, uh, when I got engaged, when I got married, I said to my wife, I said, this is my second go around. And she's like, what do you mean? I go, I'm already married to somebody. His name's John Salome because John and I were roommates and we worked together. So we were together at the beginning, 24 hours a day. We would work for 12 hours, six days a week. And then we, John would go get a (laughs) Wendy's chicken salad, uh, with those croutons and he would just crunch them in my ear. Um, and, uh, we would, I could tell you were just totally annoyed yeah. by that. Yeah, no, that's, that was that, the hardest part of our entire business was I had to hear John eat <laughs> because remember? I have that condition. When I hear people eat, it drives me insane. Do you remember, Actually, Tom, you've driven me nuts with your chewing as well. Do you remember the mess I would make under my desk when we'd eat the pitas? Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> we, we had a room about the size of this, two desks, one computer that we would share. Yeah. Share computer. Like, Are you off? Yeah, I'm off. And we'd go send emails and then we'd get, it'd be late at night. So we'd go get pitas. His desk was pristine. Mine on the floor, you'd see like sauce everywhere. Why, you, why didn't you guys have a second computer? Couldn't afford it. Really? Yeah, yeah it was yeah. 2001. Yeah, um, so a, a, a good desktop was still like two, three thousand yeah, dollars The monitor, yeah. yeah. And it, it was funny because, you know, as much as we're in the IT space, um, sales is sales. Pound the phones, right? And when we started this business, it was, um, we had a, we had, an ex-client of mine who was really good to us and said, you know, Marco, I'd always be willing to do business with you guys, you know, if you ever decide to start your own company. Okay, that's great. That was what helped us get started. But now you got to go get client number two, number three, number four. And there was nobody just waiting, yeah, you know, who's, who went for lunch with us. It was old-fashioned pound the phones. So John and I built prospect lists, a couple of thousand names each. He sat on his side of the room. I sat on my side of the room. And it was just 250 phone calls a day, pound, 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 all day. Go out, do meetings, come back. It, it was crazy. Like all the things that we, we started, we both started at this company called Quantum. Um, and they had a really strong t- training program, but they were Xerox. It was take no prisoners. We hire four to six people. We beat the crap out of you. And if one person is left standing, <laughs> so be it. Um, and we've kind of taken that approach ever since. How did, when you started the second company and you had those fears, John, how did you overcome them? Did you just tell yourself you're going to do it and you just stepped into it anyway? Well, so I guess maybe fear might be a strong word. I felt almost this obligation to be successful. So that was kind of, it was, it was a bit of a slight stress and, uh, obligation to who my family, my reputation, um, carrying on from the success we had in the first Mm -hmm. one. So your reputation being the successful business guy who started a first business and sold it. Yes. But also my reputation amongst past clients, uh, consultants that really? had always given us praise. Yeah. So it was always you and Marco can do it. You guys are amazing. You got to keep it up. And I was, I was like, yeah, Marco and I can do it. Marco and I can do it. So we, we, we started it and I felt like we need to be successful. Like this, this can't be a, I don't want to be the guy who sold the company. Did and you work just flopped. as hard the second time as the first time? Absolutely. At the beginning, both of us did. I to think create we, worked, the momentum. We, but we also worked a bit smarter. I In what way? The first time we'd work till nine o'clock at night because to Marco's point, we'd be hammering we bought, to get... We co- bought two computers. Yeah. <laughs> but we... <laughs> what a business breakthrough. Totally. Oh my gosh, let's not share keyboards. We actually bought laptops. Um, 
the, the difference is we're selling, right? So we're pounding the phone to find clients. But at night, we would also find what we were supposed to deliver, which was people. And they're working during the day. So the first go around, Marco and I would, nine to five, we'd be either on sales calls or trying to get more sales calls. But then at night, we're calling consultants. Are you available? When's your next contract? So we'd go to like nine, 10 o'clock at night some nights. Saturdays, we'd be in there working. This time, we, we, we had a bit of capital. We understood the business better. And to his credit, it's like, no, we're building process from day one. We're going to hire recruiters. We're not going to do what we did last time because we have kids at home. We're married now. So we're in early and leaving a bit later than the average person, but nowhere near as chaotic as the first one, mm -hmm. I would say. That, but, just but that's because you had capital to start up. So you, so you, and, traded, you, you bought your time back with the capital you had from the first business. And knowledge. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And the knowledge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And knowledge. But and, could you do it but last time if you couldn't afford a second computer? How, would you, how were you going to hire recruiters? Exactly. We were the recruiters. So it's about, okay, so both. Yeah. 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 And it was, you know, still, I think all four of us share that European mentality of uh, we didn't extend ourselves from a credit perspective. You know, we, what we paid people with money that we had, um, John and I, one of the reasons that we've managed to, um, you know, acquire market share or grow as a business is we're very conservative. Uh, we've had, uh, competitors of ours go bankrupt because they were out buying luxury boats. And then you get a client who falls behind on, uh, accounts receivable. And in our industry, you miss one payroll, you're done. Your reputation is completely yeah, sunk. Absolutely. So John and I have always been very, very cautious um, with our cash outlay. Is that a European mentality or is that just like an old, old village, old Croatian village? And I'm not saying Croatian for everyone, <laughs> yeah. but is it like, it's not all of Europe. It's just more like an old village, kind of like you store your money in the mattress and then you keep it there for when you need it. Yeah, I would, I would say that is what it is for right. sure. We were like, I mean, we were like that with ours. We, we had a, we, we kept... As soon as we could, we put a chunk of money away for operating funds if yeah. we need when you know when when shit hit the fan. Nick was always it. better at that than me. He was always thinking that way. Let's have another bank account. Let's put a bit of money every month into that oh, bank really? account, build up some reserves. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was more just I don't know thinking about other stuff, sending out an email or something like that. I just like it separated. Like for me personally, for that type of thing, I like I like a reserve fund that I'm when I look at our bank account, I feel like it's not. I know for me that that's not part of it. Even you though know, all just, the operators, you're separate. It's just separate in another account. We even though it's all in the business the same way, it's just separate. I just, I don't know, I just kind of like. We've even, done our personal yeah. finances that way too, and it's been really useful. Like I went to the bank, I think, in early 2000s or late 1990s, and I went to RBC and opened up like eight bank accounts and labeled them all like car and, you know, insurance oh, wow. and vacation and give and like yeah, long me. time savings. And the, the guy at RBC was like, are you crazy? You're going to pay fees on all of these bank accounts. And I found it so interesting. I'm like, this guy's more concerned about the $10 a month in the fees. I'm thinking long-term how this is going to make me a lot of money because I'm going to be able to see my finances better and I'm going to get ahead. The $10 a month is nothing. Anyway, um, I wanted to ask you guys about... I hate paying the $10. Yeah. <laughs> it drives me nuts. He also hates late fees from uh, Blockbuster no, Video. And I'm, 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 I'm just different that way. And that's why, to, to your point, how you guys have worked well together. Nick and I have worked well together mm -hmm. because yeah. that stuff just doesn't bother me. But Nick will be the guy like, Tom, why are we spending that money? And not the $10 a month in the bank account, but in other ways. I just hate and waste. Yeah, he yeah, so do yeah, I. That's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes I'll be like, hey, let's just waste some to see what works. Like, like let's just try this for a few months mm -hmm. and it might be a bit wasteful, but I'm going to learn. And it's, I don't know, it's worked huh. out. And I say, don't talk to me. Just tell me how it goes. <laughs> don't tell <laughs> don't me talk to me. <laughs> Nick, can I tell you how much money we spent? No, don't mention it. Yeah. But you, I'm having flashbacks to just when these guys are talking about their stories. I, I just, there was one Saturday that we would take, um, we would take off. Like if I was giving a class to rockstar members, I would work and Nick wouldn't work. It was like our alternate Saturday break. And I remember working one Saturday, I would get up get into the office. We'd have new rockstar and our circle members come in. We would teach a class about real estate investing. And then after the class, we would do an educational tour and not really to sell anybody a property, but just to drive out. And back then it was to Hamilton and say, Hey, here's all the different properties. Here's how they would cash flow. So I would get up and Nick did this too. But this particular Saturday, I got up, did the class, um, young family at home, two kids at home, mm -hmm. Carol's at home, left all Saturday morning, did the class, then did an educational tour, which takes a bunch of time going out to Hamilton, looking at a few properties, had to book all the showing requests, make all the requests, um, had people following me in cars, go through the properties, teach everybody about what to look for, furnaces, roofs, foundation, cash flow numbers. On the way home one particular Saturday, so now it's like 2.30, and somebody's in my car, a couple of people are following, and, and uh, the lady in the car says, you know what? I want to make an offer on one of those properties. And remember, we're in the business. We make the business successful by selling properties and earning a commission. That's what kind of makes Rockstar work. It's no big secret. 
And I remember thinking, oh my God, don't, please, you don't want to put in an offer. Because I was so exhausted. I was completely exhausted from a long week. And now Saturday, I knew the next four hours I was done. So I went back, sat with her. We did up the offer. Back then, you had to fax the offer to the agent, call the agent, fax in the offer, wait for the counter offers. I think I got home at like, it wasn't that late. It was like 6.30 or 7, but on a Saturday, completely exhausted. My family's exhausted, two young kids at home. And I remember thinking, what the hell are we doing? Like, this is too much. And it's not like we were making a, a lot, you know, the business wasn't like huge. We were just trying to survive. But that work ethic, and that might not sound like a hard, that's, there was nothing hard. I wasn't putting up drywall. I wasn't digging holes. But I remember just thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it. This is just, I, I need a rest. I need a break. Um, so just hearing you guys go through your story, i just flashing back to some well, shit. It's funny that you mentioned, though, like it's not putting up drywall. Um, for me, that's another reason why I've seen this always as all gravy. Because I came from, you know, a background where we didn't have a ton of money. We always had enough money for food and, you know, the mortgage was paid and things like that. But there was very little extra. Um, and it's, I was just telling my daughter how when I was in grade nine, I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning, get on a bus, get on that bus, take it to Islington Station and take Islington Station to Pape and then take a bus down to uh, Logan and... I can't remember what the, the intersection was. And uh, I would work in a bread factory. And my shift started at 5.30 in the morning when I was, like, younger than 15. Going to Nexus and hanging around with John and filling some, you know, IT job orders, that's not hard work. And I've always had that mentality. I mean, it, it, it's stressful. Uh, but stress is sometimes what you make of it. And if you see yourself always in a bit of a gravy position... Um, for me, it works. I, I've, you know, you guys. What both, do you mean in a gravy position? Like being grateful for what you have? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always. Um, to me, this is. I, I keep using the term gravy position. I'm, I'm so much more ahead of where I ever felt like I needed to be, that if I were to take two steps back financially where I am right now, it wouldn't crush me, because I, I don't need, um, a ton of money to survive. It's, it's nice. You can buy nicer cars, you can buy houses, you can do things like that. But I think as long as you keep a mentality, I think it's dangerous when you keep resetting the bar in terms of what you need in life, because that bar is going to go back sometimes. And if you really take that um, to heart, I think that's one of the things that that provides stress in people's lives. You know, like, oh, I used to drive an R8 and now I'm, you know, just driving uh, a Lexus. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and now they see that as, as such a disappointment in their life. And I think that you create expectations on yourself and where your life is going. And I like to keep my stress level low, um, you know, going in a different direction here. You know, you guys all know that I have Crohn's and a big part of Crohn's is stress. And so I've learned, you know, in my 25 years of having Crohn's to keep my stress level low. Um, and that's keeping the expectations on my life in check, that everything is gravy. You know, like my responsibility to my wife and my kids is to make sure they've got food, they've got, you know, uh, a place to live and that I can pay for their school. Um, and I'd love to give them some extras. But, you know, trips to Croatia every year, three trips to Florida, uh, a trip are, to Cancun. Are you making fun of me right now? No, I'm making fun of all four of us because that's why I threw in some of our stuff. Like, you know, I, I worry sometimes that our kids, you know, the expectation that the four of us in this room had on what, you know, what to expect in life when you're 22 years old and uh, my fear of what my kids' expectations of what life is going to return to you, it's, it's so for how, me. Uh, yeah, and uh, how are you going to handle that? Like well, how, what, are you gonna share, <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to share with them? I, I keep sharing my experiences with them, how hard, you know, Same. my life was. Right. And then I tell them that my life is a cakewalk compared to, you know, their grandparents. Did they take that to heart? Because my know. kids seem to dismiss it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say, you know, you, you, you look into their eyes. Yeah. And in 10, 10 or 15 they, years, you'll know. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I've got three kids with three different personalities, right? That's so, what I was just thinking. I'm like, you know, you're saying your kids might dismiss. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But they're also different. I feel that yeah. sometimes you can share these lessons and some take it in and, and some kids don't take it in. And that's and, just people too, right? Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's it's because I think about that a lot too, because I, I'll never forget. We took the first time. So we bought this place in Croatia, just to your point. We go, we were, we've been going there every summer for about 10 years, except for this summer, of course. And then uh, the first time we went and we were able to rent a boat. So now we went and we rented a boat and the boat comes and we went like island hopping. And I remember thinking, this is a dream. Like we rented a hotel on different islands, pulled up on the boat, would get out of the boat, run into the hotel. And it's a nice hotel. And I'm thinking, this is like, 
this must be heaven. Like this is heaven. This, there's nothing better. And I remember walking. I drank so much. I barely remember getting yeah, there. But, but a lot of that. I know one, <laughs> one of our nieces counted every beer Nick drank and she made a big report on it. <laughs> but we all drink a lot. Um, but anyway, I was drinking the wine. You were drinking the beer. You would go back and forth. Anyway, I drink. I just, more. whatever was there. I drink. <laughs> I was, I was like, I'm on the boat in the Adriatic. Yeah, yeah. Let's just Having let's start that, this drink. One little posh island that we hate, like we hate going there. You know the island I'm talking about. We get off. I hadn't, I didn't have a shirt on. Because we're in Croatia, it's like 40 degrees. We have, you don't wear a shirt out on the boat. I hop out on... You, you know, were showing off a little bit, Tom. Come on, be honest. No, I totally wasn't. Not back then, he wasn't. <laughs> oh, oh. Hey, I hop up on the boat. They wouldn't serve us, remember? I couldn't get into any of the stores without a shirt. I'm like, this is like an island beach town kind of place. Anyway, when we rented the boat, had the hotel, that next morning, Sienna comes out, my daughter, and she says, we're going back to the boat. And I remember thinking, like, this is a miracle that we'll be able to pull this off as a family. Like, this is the most beautiful trip we're all having. And she points to a boat that must have been 10 times bigger oh, than the boat we're in. And she goes, Dad, super yachts. and very innocently, Dad, next year, can we get that boat? And I remember thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing to her expectations? And how do I change them? And I don't know how to change them. Like, I want to live the life that we're able to live. Yeah. But other than sharing stories like you're sharing, I don't really have the answer. So uh, see, I'm it, doing it purposely. I have two young girls, and I'm trying to I'm trying to sabotage any guys that come along, because they're gonna have to live up to the expectations. Otherwise, they're gonna be like, "Oh, this sucks. I can't do this with him." So you know, so I'm trying to purposely. This is like me creating landmines for these guys ahead of time, and then they have to approve everything. By I never thought about that because you have two girls. You can yeah. use that strategy on yeah. both of them. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> not too bad actually. Kind of like that strategy. Yeah. Back I want, to, now, but now I'm thinking: Do people use that strategy on Aiden, my son? <laughs> yeah, there, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um, you know what, back to what you were saying though, Marco, um, this, the growth thing, this, this, this freaks me out. Like, you know, I was talking about keeping your life in, in check. And I think lately, um, over you know, the last little while, this whole like growth thing has become more and more popular. It's all about growing and bigger and more. And I look back at it and I'm, I've, I'm trying to figure this out. Cause I'm like, a lot of people are just get caught up in that message. Like, Oh, the cool thing to do is you get a business, you grow and you grow and you get bigger and you do more and more and more. And I'm like, what the hell? hell? Like, that's not what it's about. Like you don't have to do that. That's not necessarily the way to go. But in today's kind of like business environment, if you look at all the magazine articles or online or something, it's all about growth and 10x and you know how to multiply and how to fast growth and scale. And I'm like, well, why can't you just have be very successful in the whatever pond that you play in and just kind of be the big fish there and just have what you need? Yeah. And yeah. and it just kind of freaks me out that people get caught up in that. And everything is always just growth at all costs with no real thought behind it, right? There, there's some element though, and Marco always says this: if you're not growing, you're shrinking. I agree with so that. So there, there, there's a but to your point: is it 10x, 100x, or is it you know a steady, simple growth pattern as as you go up and not overcomplicating things by trying so hard to grow constantly and then losing sight of the big picture yeah. and then you actually end up shrinking, right? So it's, when, it's managing that. Or growing by making things better. Like, because you can have your business, mm -hmm. say, let's say the revenue stays the same for three years, but all of a sudden you get more time back right. or it's more efficient or it's less Absolutely. stressful. Yes. There's growth that that's way huge. as well, right? Yeah, the only thing you can't do is just take your eye off the business. That's, that's yeah. you know, a death knell, right? You do that and you think you've you've you know taken your eye off the prize for a moment but you realize it's actually been a lot longer than you thought and it's like turning a boat it, you can't do it on a dime right and once you start down that road you you could be screwed um so you i, I think you know you guys always use that term uh what is it the long-term optimistic short-term paranoid mm -hmm. um i think as a business owner you have to be you have to have a level of paranoia when you own a business because there's nobody who's going to be there to save you if you screw up you know, and like if, if you're at a big company and you screw up, okay, if you're in sales, see you later. But, you know, if you're a programmer at IBM and you don't do a good job, well, so, you know, you, you there might be ramifications to you, but the company will be fine. If the owners screw up at a business, there's some big ramifications for not just the owners, but all of the employees at that business. It's interesting that you say that way because I, we are we do operate that way. But for whatever reason, I kind of expect different problems to pop up and they don't bother me anymore. You know, now, like, so I know I'm taking the conversation in a slightly different direction, but now when a problem pops up in our business or with a property or something, it doesn't really phase us anymore. We almost are like, oh, that's normal. Like, shit happens and we kind of have to deal with it. So even though we walk around short-term paranoid, yeah. it's like it doesn't really bother us, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, you get like a thicker skin to it, right? Yeah, I guess you that's, what, deal that's with it. what's happening. Well, that's 100% what happened to me. When he said I'm significantly less stressed now than I was 10 years ago. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, you just kind of get used to it. You get used to it. I saw after a few years of the relaunch uh, of this company that, you know, uh, we put in more process. We were able to, like, better delegate, I think, to some extent. 
and it was working. And all of a sudden, my stress went down. I stopped worrying about all the little things. If we had a bad month, I knew we'd recover as long as the process and everything that we planned up front was still being executed properly. We hadn't taken our eye off the prize. It will work. And I don't know, it, it helped a lot. Like what, I, what did you guys go through when you sold the first business? You traveled a lot around the world. Did you travel as well? Not at all. Oh. No, my wife was uh, seven months okay. pregnant or something. Okay, yeah. got it. So how many years was it between selling the first company and then starting the next? Two, Two years, years to the day. What did you guys go through in the thought process? Because that's everybody's dream. Sell a company, get a whack load of money, and life's going to be amazing. So I know you must have done some calculations of like, holy shit, maybe it's not enough money for the rest of our lives. Or maybe we thought it was going to be more or whatever you were thinking. What was the realization that, you know, you had about life during that period? Did you think anything differently? You know, because you had a lot of time on your hands. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that you think about is um, that dream. Oh, I sold my business and I've got all this money. You don't have anybody to enjoy it with because if you sell your company at 32, everybody else is working 8, 10, 12 hours a day. They've got wives, kids. You're by yourself. I was actually quite were you, bored. Were you were you married? By I was then? married. Okay. but So my wife took a one-year leave of absence. That's right. And we traveled. Not, yeah. Um, but when we came back, she, she went back to work. Um, the other thing that we realized was, you know, I hate saying this out loud, but a couple million bucks is, it's, it, it's not enough to set you up for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. I mean, mm -hmm. you see what the price of housing is right now. Um, you know, you could sell your house, you could sell your company and pay off your mortgage, but good luck. You've got car payments, you've got your life. There's a lot of things to go from there. Um, I would say that one of the things that, that in hindsight, it was a mistake to sell the first business, but only with hindsight, like I don't regret that we sold the business, but what we should have actually done was we should have um, grown that first company because nothing is actually harder than the start of the company. The momentum you need to right. start a company. Yeah. We had yeah. so much momentum, but John and I got wowed by a gentleman who 100%. showed up to our office with a check. We'd never seen a check that size in our life. And you know, we had this, um, this, this constant feeling like someone was gonna pull the carpet out from under us. Like, oh wow, this is going so well. Um, you know, and when the carpet gets pulled, we're going to be left with nothing. So we should sell this thing. Um, and we learned so much through the experience. Um, so I would never take that back, but if I could take all the experience of selling that company, but not sell it, like have that our first company, we would have been way ahead of the game, yeah. way, way, way ahead of the game, actually. Why did you guys get into some residential real estate recently? What was the thought process of that? Like, why go... Your Life, Your Terms podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, yeah. though. But I mean, it's, uh, you can t tell them a little bit about Because, this, I mean, we your, your business this. is like IT staffing. You have some commercial real estate. But then to get into residential real estate, that's kind of like a big turn. To me, it is. Anyway, seeing you guys started multiple companies, commercial real estate. Now, you know, residential real estate. I think the question, sorry, just to jump in. The question is why we didn't get into it earlier. Earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is the question. We, yeah, yeah. We, we, well, I mean, I'm sure everybody <laughs> says that, but there's a story behind that, yeah, right? We, we know why we didn't. Yeah, so talk that out. What, 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 what happened? Well, John and I kind of got a little bit um, delusions of grandeur, perhaps, is the right way. We wanted to buy an apartment building with 40 units, 30 yeah, units, yeah. right? And that's and all we wanted to do for 10 years. That's the only thing we'd look at. And, you know, we, we'd gone out with you guys a couple yeah. of times and because we had a very, very um, narrow amount of knowledge in that space, it was hard for us to pull the trigger on something. Um, and we kept missing out on these buildings. And I think you gave me advice one time that um, really, really kind of helped John and I start taking the plunge into some of these Don't things. tell him. Just leave that part out. Just skip it. No, I, no, well, I want to hear, sure, hear this. I I'm, pretty hear sure this. Nick, I'm pretty sure Nick gave it to you and you just stole it. But um, you said to me, you said, if you're going to wait till you're 100% sure, you're never going to buy any real estate. And I remember I got off the phone and I went into John's office and I told him that story. And we looked at each other and we're like, He's right. John and I have never been 100% sure of anything in our <laughs> lives. So why are we trying to apply that 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 metric? We've just to, seen to this? hundreds of investors, now thousands of investors now, and the people who wait to get 100% of all the knowledge, we we now see them. We're like, "Oh my gosh, they never do anything." Right. They're always waiting for the market to be exactly like this or yeah. the market to be that or interest rates to be this. But anyone who gets to like even like 60, we've seen people maybe act a little too early. Like they get a little bit of knowledge yeah, and, right. and, then they're and like, they're, oh, trust, they're trusting us, which is really kind. And we have their backs, but we're like, holy shit, yeah. are you yeah. sure you're Now ready? you have that responsibility. Yeah, now we are owning the responsibility and we take that very seriously. But our, you know, ideally you get to a point that you guys got to where you're like 80% knowledgeable about everything. And then you just have to leap. Right. So that's interesting. But that, what ended up happening was we were so focused on one of these 
larger um, units with, with, sorry, one of these larger buildings with multiple units. And when those were not coming through to fruition, they were very difficult to, to, to purchase. We didn't say, okay, hey, let's change gears and start looking at some buildings that have maybe, you know, triplexes and things like that. And then next, you know, four or five years went by and we were sitting on this money that we'd kind of allocated towards real estate and it just sat there doing nothing for four or five years. And you remember I I said to you the other day when John and I, I guess just to fill everybody in, John and I bought a uh, student rental property uh, near Western. It's basically a triplex for student rentals. And uh, Nick sent me a a text message saying, hey, congratulations on your property. Why didn't you send me a text message? (laughs) Oh, shit. Favoritism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hey, we knew the guy from Basel needed some encouragement. (laughs) Right. Martha Mary guys, we we had each other's backs the whole time. Totally. Um, But my response to Nick was, I can't believe I didn't do this earlier. And you said to me, hey, man, not everybody gets to everything always at the same time. And you, Nick's 100% right. You, you can't beat yourself up over the decisions you didn't make. Otherwise, we could all look back and say, why didn't I buy Google 15 years ago? Why didn't I buy? Why did I sell that house and not, you know, take a mortgage out and buy another one? And what- I went to Sheridan College. I used to come to Oakville from Mississauga. So east side, east side of Mississauga to Oakville. I thought Oakville was the edge of the earth. Yeah. Right? I'm like, who the hell comes all the way up to Oakville? I would take the bus. Cows. Along, there was cows yeah. in the fields. I would take the bus along Dundas. I would turn left on Trafalgar. At that time, it was the Longos that was at Dundas and Trafalgar was like a beat down Longos. It was hadn't been redone. I think it's been redone twice since then. And I'll never forget when they were building those townhomes behind the Canadian Tire there. And I would I sat on the bus and I saw the new home sign and I looked at it. And I'm like, who? And by this time, I kind of looked at real estate. Remember, I bought right after I graduated, like my first year after graduating. So wow. I, it's not like I bought, you know, and it was a two bedroom bungalow and, and poor credit. And I looked and I'm like, who the hell would move all the way out here? I think those townhomes were in the 100s. I should look it up on Geo Warehouse to know. I'm pretty sure they were in like the mid 100s. And now they're probably worth like whatever that was. You know, it's 20 years. Yeah, but yeah. they're worth like 900 grand now. So what, I'm like, just if I bought one of those damn things, you know, so like we can all look back right. on those times, yeah, right? Sure. What was it about residential real estate? Because uh, and the reason I'm asking, you guys are in IT. You could have put more money into the stock market investments. Like what was it about the real estate? Was it that it's a hard asset? Did you want some cash flow? Was it the appreciation? Was it just that it's a hard asset and not in the stock market? Like what was it about residential real estate? Was there anything or just portfolio diversification? Diversification for sure. Yeah. Um, and I also think we've been talking about it forever. Like we, we know that we need to diversify. Our, our, I would say our primary assets are business. Yeah. Then you have uh, stocks, you have a portfolio, you have your primary residence. We do have a little bit of, we have commercial, we have, we need to diversify more. We absolutely, and we needed cash flow. Cause as you know, it's a basically a zero rate mm-hmm. interest environment. So where are you going to get cash flow from? It's, it's funny that you're saying that because Nick and I have been talking that over the next 10 years with the way we see the economy unfolding with like a basically a debt super cycle ending. Like this isn't a business cycle that we're seeing the end of from the way we are looking at it. Not that we are experts in this by any means, but the way we study the economy, this is a debt super cycle. The last one was the Great Depression and we built up enough debt in the economy that you know, we are going to go through some serious economic changes over the next decade. Like this isn't a one or two year thing. That's good. There's just too much debt in the system that has to be unwound. And we want everyone to have investments that produce income because we believe over the next 10 years, income is going to be a unicorn mm-hmm. that you're not going to be able to create income very easily as an economy may shrink under a big debt load. And as an economy shrinks, it's harder. There's less cash flow flying around. So if you can get a hard asset that also produces some income to us, it's like gold, right? Like you want those things. So, to us, it's beyond diversification, which although that's like super smart and, you know, that's kind of like the right answer. To us, it's we want people thinking about hard assets because in a world that might be deflationary and might be shrinking, if you can get a hard asset that also produces income, it protects you from two things. It protects you from deflation and it protects you from inflation. The cash flow is going to be very valuable in a deflationary environment and the hard asset component of that investment is going to be very valuable in an inflationary environment. So going forward, and although this sounds very selfish because we have Rockstar Real Estate and we sell properties, we truly believe these are smart things to have. Well, I think, you know, I've been listening to your podcast now for quite a while. And obviously you and I are very good friends and we've had these conversations over years. Um, And I think uh, diversification is very important. Mm -hmm. But I think that you need to have real estate in your portfolio. Like, you know, if somebody is starting from scratch right now, I don't know if right now I would be saying to them, start your diversification with the equities market. You know, I mean, it's it's easier to get into equities because you can buy $100 worth of shares, right, ETF. Um, but at this moment in time, it, it would, to me, appear 
with the amount of money that they're printing. You know, you look at the stock market and it, and the government for the first time in you know history is actually in the stock market. Doesn't sound like something I want to be a part of right now. Um, doesn't mean that I'm bailing out of it all the way, um, but uh, getting a larger piece of my diversification into hard assets um, is important. I mean, I don't know if you want to take this into the next, dire next direction, which is Bitcoin, <laughs> right? Like that's another thing that, that I've decided to start to move into now. Mm -hmm. Which is um, kind of crazy to me that someone like yourself, who I wouldn't think, because to me, I think Bitcoin is something that's still on the fringes. Yeah. Like, I still think it's like one of those things that like people kind of know about, hear about, but you've actually taken the plunge and bought some Bitcoin. Yeah. Which to me is, I don't mean this in a bad way. I just mean like, holy shit, like, is Bitcoin really going to get some traction if someone like yourself is starting to get involved in it? And no, really. Someone like you. No, and I don't mean it. this. No, I know that comes across like that. A guy who went to St. Basil's oh, is oh in it. Shit, sell, sell. Hey, listen, if anyone from Basil's buying Bitcoin, then we're out, man. Sell. <laughs> shit. But uh, yeah. By the way, we all went to Pocock, so that puts yeah, all of us on a very even. low footing. <laughs> oh, my God. But, it's okay, funny, but, but we need to each other out. We say that puts us on a low footing, but someone from another high school challenges Pocock, and we're always like, listen, we're better than you. Oh, well, facts are facts, Different right? story. Different story. <laughs> But to that point, I was going to ask you before. So you guys had money set aside for real estate, it sounded like, or some sort yes. of investments. So when that period of time went by, was there like, was part of the trigger at the end, like, you know, shit, you know, this money could have done this much for us five years ago. And now it can only do this much. We've lost some purchasing power on it. We got to move. Like, did was that, did that add to the trigger or did, is that cause some of the trigger, like, be, you know, with the benefit of the, the hindsight, looking back and realizing it's just sat in cash for those five years, did that, is that moving you into Bitcoin? Are you guys into real estate at all or no? You just kind of like it, now is the time. I personally didn't think of it in that way. I'd set the money aside. It was earning so some income. So we're the only, through, Nick, through, we're the only crazy well, no, ones. <laughs> it wasn't just sitting in cash. I mean, it was earning some dividend income, et cetera. But, but I, I just think for me, initially it was, it was pure diversification and another version of cash flow. Yeah, okay. Because um, it freaks me out. Like, we, like we've had money set aside. Because before this office, we had money set aside and because we didn't know how much we were going to spend. We had to qualify for the, the financing early on, so you had to show the asset. The liquid cash was there. Mm -hmm. And it like it was driving, for me, for a while crazy. Because like, I'm like, we were waiting for this place to close for the development. I'm like, we have all this cash sitting here. Like It's driving me crazy because it was like every day that went by. And it has yeah, some interest or whatever, but it, to me, it was like every day that went by, it became worth less, less and, less. and less. And it started well, yeah, driving me nuts. When you started looking at you know, the, the cost of real estate, Right. And if you you've held on to that cash in your account for a full year, you're right. You've lost the ability of what to do with that cash. And that's, you know, what ended up happening is you go back to this is where our conservative nature bit us in the ass a little bit, though, because John and I were self-funding um, our company uh, the whole way through. We had a substantial line of credit that we got from the bank and we never touched it. Right. Um, and looking, you know, again, with hindsight, that was a mistake. We should have been using that line of credit more but aggressively. Was it a mistake? Because it, you only have that benefit to analyze like that with hindsight. But uh, this is what I'm hindsight. saying. If you could use hindsight, go yeah. back and oh, give yourself okay. advice, you know, and I always look at it that way. Right. Like, so if someone came to me today and was the exact same position as I was five years ago and the market and the interest rates and everything were the same as they are today, I would say, listen, this is what you should do. You should be using because you, you can write off the interest in your business. Right. And then you can take your own personal money and put it into something. Mm -hmm. Whereas we were sitting on this pile of money, making nothing in the bank and not using our line of credit. Um, and then what ended up also happening was when COVID hit and remember in March, like the, the, the markets were a shit show. People were saying to us, you better start using your line of credit because yeah. the bank might take mm -hmm. it away from you. Mm -hmm. Right. And then that becomes a fear that you lose your line of credit. So we said, OK, let's take some of our cash out of the company, put it into our hold coast. Um, and start to use our line of credit, which was, you know, we, we were completely on side with the bank. Bank was, the, we weren't pulling some sort of a stunt there. Um, and then you've got this, you know, money sitting in the bank. And you're like, well, what am I going to do with mm -hmm. it? I'm terrified to put it into the stock market because it's at an all-time high. And I just, I, I don't have as much confidence. And I'm, I'm not here to say to everybody today, sell all your stocks. I haven't done that. But I paired some back. I'm not putting as much in. And now I'm just looking to get a little bit more into real estate. I want that that pie chart of my um, investments to have more than one or two colors, right? There's got to be diversification across the board. So if you look at it, my business, uh, my real estate, my stock portfolio, and now cryptocurrency, I feel like I'm getting into a better position to be diversified. Not all of those things are going to continue to shoot up like a rocket. But when things, you know, shit hits the fan, hopefully all of those pools won't be depleted at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
It's interesting how we're all trained to just think money's going to lose value because of inflation over our lifetimes and our formative years. And I really think the next 10 years, it's going to be weird. I think it's going to go the other way. I think cash is going to increase in value. So like I, so with, I made a mistake. No, 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 no. All these decisions. No, I'm just thinking that. Do you know year, a good broker that can sell that property for you? Yeah. No, no. I'm just thinking all these things are the right decisions based on all the information that we have. I just think going forward, we might have to adjust. But now the way your portfolio is set up and some of your cat, your, your money the, structured the way it is, you're going to be able to adjust. I think you want to have a, a, the ability to be nimble. You know, you exactly. cannot be all into one part of that pie and be a thousand percent, have blinders on, cover your ears and say, this is the only way to go. Um, that's, that's a danger zone, which, you know, I know you guys talk a lot about what happened to your parents in the early nineties. Um, and we all felt that, you know, my father didn't own real estate, but my dad didn't work. My dad, I remember my father picking up the phone, trying to get jobs. And he would look at me and say, I am taking that job and making no money just so they don't forget who I am. Right. And I remember seeing my dad on the couch, Rubbing his Stressed. head and, and everybody terrified to, to talk his to heart. him. Our dad used to hold his heart. Yeah. Um, and I think this, going back to our kids, our kids never have to no. see that. You hope. Yeah. No. But is there value in seeing mm -hmm. that, right? Listen, I think uh, there is. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, the, uh, on the IT staffing front, are you guys able to see any trend? Like what, what in your industry, what trends have changed over the years? Are IT jobs still difficult jobs to, to get? This are is they, where John jumps no, in no, hardcore. Because yeah. I've been out of it. So IT. like when I was in IT, it was like if you were an Oracle database administrator, that was like, holy shit. Holy yeah, grail, yeah, that was yeah. a holy grail. PLSQL, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Holy <laughs> shit. Procedural SQL. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know what that yeah, means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I remember. <laughs> um, and then it was like Java and C++ and all this stuff. Are there any changes in that industry that have been obvious over the last few years? Or is it still all the same? The, you know, if you're a programmer, you're in demand. The UI side of it. So the, the, the front end is becoming more and more critical. Got it. Um, back in the day, it was always sort of, not to get technical, it was the back end stuff, mid-tier stuff. And that was the holy grail. Now, a really, really strong sort of front-end designer type person can make just as much as an Oracle DBA. Got it. it. That's sort of flipped yeah. a So it used bit. to be, be able to like make it work, you know, and now that most things actually work because the technology is there exactly. and stable, it's like make it yeah. easy to use but, and look good. But what that means though is the demand, which is, you know, I think of, of my children, like it's something I'm going to push them to get into because now you can come out of school at a young age, 22, 23, and you can make the same as the person who's been coding in the back end for 25 years. Why? Because you don't need programming skills to do any UI work? Well, you, you, you do, but it's nowhere near as, it, there's a lot of creativity, there's a lot of scripting, and, and, and the scripts are not super, super complicated. Huh. But you're, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, and then you take mobile and doing mobile apps and all that stuff. Like it's, it's pretty crazy. So, so it's, it's really interesting because the world, if you look at that and you look at what's happening, no different than what's happening on social media or, you know, TikTok, YouTube, the world has gone so visual and so it's it's people are looking for visual and it to be simplified as simple as possible at all times so anyone that can come out and make something pretty and simple is automatically in demand so you're placing people with ui skills that are well sorry that are making really good money mm -hmm. that's surprising you it's freaking me out yeah yeah we're working with one this client is in, in, the, in the financial right industry or what industries uh, cross industry i mean we deal primarily in financials and telcos and i'm confused they look at a website and they see if the website's usable or the mobile app like nick's talking about and see how usable it is no that, that's a usability type okay thing. i'm so, talking about so 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 that's a user designer kind of thing oh. someone's coming out of school with the ability to code with basic scripting so it's not super complicated it's not object oriented you're not doing calls and um, but they can code a basic script. They've also learned a little bit about how UI works. And to your point, understanding the simplicity of the user. So they work with the users, they code it all up and they do it very quickly with a ton of creativity. Um, they're, they're not thinking old school, like click, click, click. It's a three click decision kind of thing. And they are in huge demand. Really? What, what's the title for these people? UX designer, oh, UI really? designer. Oh, UI I'm going to touch designer. UX designer. Yeah, Tom, yeah, so, since you left, everything's changed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like no, it has though, but I mean, yeah. social media didn't exist when you left. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah, think totally. about the, the, the imprint or the footprint that clients are trying to, they're, they're trying to get people's attention now. Right. Um, and they need folks that can help them do that. And the other, sorry, the other interesting thing though, if you look at what's happened, you know, with our industry. So for people out there that don't know what we do. We're an IT staffing organization. We place both full-time and contract um, IT folks. So that's project managers, 
DBAs, uh, UX people, uh, all across the, 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 the IT spectrum. Um, but what's been interesting is during this, this COVID crisis, we'll call it, uh, you know, it's had a big effect on the economy, is people would think that um, our, we focus primarily on contract placement. Um, so we place folks on, you know, short to midterm contracts, three, six, 12 month contracts where you see a freeze up in the industry when something like this happens is on the full-time side. Nobody wants to hire a full-time person, right? Because they don't want to be committed to benefits. They don't want to be committed to severance. They want to be committed to things like that. So we're still remaining fairly consistent in our business because clients who still have demand, they're like, well, let's hire someone for three months. Let's hire someone for six months. Um, that, that allows them that flexibility. So you're seeing this not just in IT, all across the employment so, spectrum. So for, are our kids facing a world then that full-time jobs are just going to be a thing of the past? No. The gig economy? No. no. Not a no. thing of the past. No. No. Okay. But the, uh, I think the might... ratio, you know, it used to be 90% full-time, 10% contract. And in the 20 years that John and I have seen this, we hear CIOs talk about, you know, this is even a couple of years ago. They want it to be 70-30. Yeah. And I would imagine 70-30 which way? Sorry? 70% full-time, 30% contingent. Um, Why wouldn't they go 30-70? That might be a bit they're hard. They're losing they, some of the... Biz- okay. I think they're it's just too much, too much, too fast. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it. also okay. it's that's just too big of a swing too quickly, yeah, right? Yeah. I think that one day we might be there. Um, but uh, they like that flexibility um, from their workforce. So, you know, with technology, as technology changes as well, sometimes, you know, you look like a, at a company like Loblaw and they're doing an SAP implementation. It was the biggest SAP imp- implementation in Canadian history. They probably brought in four to 600 people. Well, you can't hire those people full time because mm-hmm. that implementation lasts two years it's and finite, it's time yeah. to move on, right? Um, and then they'll, you know, work out their next big project. They'll call CGI or IBM or somebody, bring on, you know, a couple of hundred contractors. Um, there's a lot of benefits to it. You know, you talk to people who are contract workers. I would say for the most part, they're very, very happy individuals. Um, they they get some changes in life. They don't want to. It's very they're rare. Paid more than a full time. Oh right? yeah, they make more money, but they've got less uh, security. And ha- no benefits. That's what I was going to ask. How do they keep their skills up? Uh, that's up to them. Self education. Yeah. yeah. So they have to be. They have to really enjoy what they're doing because yeah. you got to constantly be Absolutely. learning. And they learn it by assignment as well, right? Every client is doing something okay. different, so they'll go and they yeah. use this there. They'll use that there. The other big thing that we're seeing, or at least I've seen in some of the larger projects we've done in the past, is data is huge. So yeah. you'll you'll yeah. often see like. We need someone with big data. We need someone with AI. We need someone. That's funny because we talk about data being the new real estate. It's it's like big data. We we've been talking about that for a couple of years, and we haven't talked about it on the podcast very much. That someone who can analyze data and make sense of large quantities of data, that is the new real estate in the IT world because the amount of everything. Yeah, the intelligence that you're going to be able to get from everything that we've been getting for free all these years Mm -hmm. wasn't free. They wanted our data. Oh yeah, hundred oh. percent. But is it really, or is it AI is just going to do it? And if you were able to work within that space, because I think like there for that for analyzing big data, it's not going to be human driven. No, right. you're right. But so maybe it's that in that space. Yes, but it's yeah, that yeah. space that definitely seems to have a future. Yeah. I just don't know how we're going to get our kids. Like our basically our kids now have to all be constant learners. Like everyone has to be always learning. At all times, because the way the world, if we extrapolate out, you guys said over 20 years how you've seen the change. So your kids are fairly young still, right? Mm-hmm. There's no teenagers between you right I now. Have a teenager. You have a teenager. Okay. So in the next 10 years, if we extrapolate forward the trends that you're seeing, I bet the same amount of changes or more will happen in the 20 years oh, that you've seen yeah, and absolutely. the next 10. Absolutely. So that all our kids sitting here are faced with this world. And they're all going to have to constantly be learning and they're all going to have to be their own business. But isn't that like, so the, the speed is going to be faster, but is that really different than what like the last generation was? Because yeah. they had to constantly be learning too. And it's not scary, right? Like, so this, this whole concept. It's just different. Yeah, it's just different. And then like, so when we first started Nexus, one of the things we tried to capitalize on was, and it was kind of part of our, our pitch, like what differentiates you? We said we were really good with digital. What's digital, right? You just put brackets around it. What what is it really? Like it's your air quotes make it. I think yeah, when you well, say digital no air quotes, so you were full of crap. Yeah, so everybody knows no, when John said digital, he used air, air quotes, quotes, and that makes it different than just. But saying it wasn't the word. that I was full of crap. What I was trying to say was it was a specialty that really didn't exist ten years ago. It just did not exist, and now you're getting these younger generation who understand how to run a digital campaign, right? They're they're producers of of what you have on your marketing team, yeah. right? They're bringing on YouTube stuff. They're hashtagging it so everybody wants like that is a skill set in and of itself so i don't think the future is necessarily 
scary for them. It's going to change. Mm-hmm. It's going to change fast. In fact, it's probably pretty exciting and opening up a whole new world that we didn't have access to. Yeah, but it seems like everything's going distributed. Like if I map this out, you don't need big companies very much anymore. It seems like it'll be maybe big brands of big companies left with small teams that come in. Marco, like you're saying with the SAP implementation, people come in and come out. Maybe they come in for some digital media type stuff that is being done, but then they're going to be freelancers. Yeah, but there's always growth. Like there's always going to be the elephant in the room in every industry. Right, like, or, mm-hmm. or the 800 brown gorilla that takes over. Like, look at what Amazon did, and yeah. they did it from Walmart, and then there was Apple, and before them Microsoft. Well, they, these are all still huge companies, but they were always like, they just don't go away. Yeah, the only thing I would just change just agreeing with Thomas, things are just happening faster. Yeah, that's exactly. the thing. But our kids are are adapting to that speed. But are right? they being turned into? And, and I'm agreeing with everything. I'm just trying to think uh, this out. Are they being turned into commodities in what they do? Like, do we get to a point sooner than later than a lot of what big companies need is done through AI or as a commodity so that the differentiation that they have in the marketplace is minimized? They already are commodities. Yeah, you guys watch that yeah. social dilemma on Netflix? No. I've, I'm actually, yeah, I've, I've only like 15 minutes in. I'm not going to comment on whether it's good, but if, if any of it, what is like, what why is there so much controversy over this? Just because we we're all are commodities. Yeah, yeah. That, that's all they are. Every time you get a ping on your phone, they want to see where you are. Where are you physically? Should I send you a new advertisement? Like, mm-hmm. we're commodities in terms of where their data. I, I agree. And that I agree. is 100%. I think we're there, 100%. Yeah, yeah but I think we always were, right? Yeah. You know, just, when, just, when they were advertising Marlboro in, uh, you know, Times Square, right? They're trying to convince us to do something. They had limited data to do it, but guess what? They knew that a lot of people walk through Times Square, right? And they could, you know, just do that visually. Now they've got more sophisticated tools to be able to do that. Yeah, they it's had scary. cigarette machines at, at bars and they right. would know how many people bought cigarettes in well, each bar well, and it was exactly. the same yeah. different, yeah. you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it, now it's faster and right. more in-depth. Yeah, and I think what I... And uh, we're volunteering and it's, it more. It's, like it's we're, potentially dangerous because, you know, it, a lot of it is more scientific. You know, they can get you in ways that they couldn't get you before. Um, but, you know, society's been going that way for hundreds of years, right? You know, nothing, we never go backwards in that sense. Know, we always it, go forward. It's mm-hmm. the, pri- see, it's the, the thing that freaks me out about this is that people have given up so much. Yeah, And, and they don't realize all so the privacy that they've given up for, for that. You know, I, I, I was talking, and I wasn't the only one. I'm not saying I came up with this, but it was probably about three, when did I take myself off social media? About three years ago. I'm like, I don't think social media is actually a good thing. Right. Um, for me, for right. me personally, it wasn't to be regularly on there. And it wasn't. it gets and, your emotions up. Yeah. No? And one of the things that I slowly started seeing happening, I'm like, look, man, this is the destruction of free speech. And uh, like a number of years ago, because what's happening, I'm like, the government's supposed to be laughing because it's, it's allowing the public to destroy free speech. Right. Because now, no, you know, if you're, if you're in the wrong place and you don't agree with everyone, I don't care what the opinion is, but if you don't agree with that group of people, they're all after you. Yeah. It's like you, there, there's this whole, it, the mirage of free speech is kind of like, it's, it's still dwindling further and further. And it started a number of years ago. So, and in my opinion, social media was one of the major causes of it. So it's, that's what freaks me out is, is how willingly we're able to give up things that we fought so hard for, for so long to be like, oh, this phone really makes my life easy. I can stare at it all day. So yeah, t- to your point, John, I have no privacy. You can track wherever the hell yeah. I am at all times and stuff. I'm, I'm willing to give all that up and I don't care. Right. I, I don't know where this trend goes. You're right. And I'm, I don't know if it's free speech or discussion. Like, it's, yeah, free speech. And, and there seems to be just, it's something we've talked about a yeah. lot, right, Marco? It's just the, the discussion. It's like you can't sit down and have a discussion between people with different views. Sure, and that's about, what I mean. Yeah, Whether yeah. it's about politics, COVID, masks, no masks, all these different things. It's very difficult to just sit down and have a discussion without someone just immediately saying, you're wrong, I'm right, over. And, it's, and they find it a lot easier to do it behind a screen. Usually yeah, yeah, when you're yeah. face-to-face, you're not as offensive. You probably listen a bit more and you may be talk about it a bit more but when it's on a computer you're immediately ready to fight back I think what fascinates me in this whole discussion is that I like to be prepared for the future short term I'm always short term paranoid I'm long long term optimistic about the future but I like to be prepared it's part of the reason we got into real estate it's part of the reason I think we started our own business I felt I had more control about my own life so this might be a character flaw even of myself I thought starting at my own business was going to give me more security in life and I'd be more sure of my own life than staying in the corporate world And that's what got me to quit. I'm like, I don't like, when I was in the corporate world, I looked 20 years ahead. And I remember telling Carol, I'm like, Carol, I don't like what I see in the next 20 years. If I have to beg for two weeks vacation when I'm in my mid forties to go see our son or daughter do a dance recital or a soccer game or something, you might as well just stab me in the leg. I mean, that is to me failure that I can't live with that life. So I'm going to pull the trigger now on a six figure salary. My, our income as a family is going to dip. Hopefully it comes back to where it was. And maybe if we're lucky, yeah. It goes beyond where the trend it was on, 
right? And things have kind of worked out, but I just looked into the future, didn't like what I saw and adjusted now. And I feel like looking into the next 10 years, I can't quite figure out what I see because of all this AI stuff, the free speech battle that seems to be going on, debt super cycle in the economy, technology, IT jobs changing. I didn't even know about these UX jobs. And so all of this stuff seems to be coming together. And I'm sure every generation goes through this. Everyone who's in their late forties, I'm sure has this thought, right? But I, I don't know what's coming. And it's cut. Kind of, it's interesting. It's almost exciting, fascinating. And it's, 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 it's fun to talk about. And I don't, I don't know where we're headed. And I think sometimes maybe I get a little concerned about it. Like shit, what exactly? But, but, think, but you yeah. can't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just got to plan for all the different scenarios, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is diversification. I want real estate in my portfolio. I want gold. I want Bitcoin. I want stocks, right? You just got to plan I for the inevitables and shift. People have always, you know, when, when we were younger, you know, people told us TV was going to rot your mind, right? Um, you know, even video don't games. Don't too close. Remember? Yeah, don't if, you close played, if you played ColecoVision or Intellivision, you know, that was going to rot your mind. And now, you know, I'd say the one thing that kind of gets on my nerves is people from our generation looking down on people today. You know, when they say like, oh, you know, we were so much tougher. We were so much that. Well, they said the same thing about us. And uh, I'm probably going to screw up this quote, but there, th somebody once said, this generation doesn't respect their parents. This generation doesn't know how to focus. Do you know who said that? And I might confuse the names. Yeah. Plato said it to Socrates or Socrates said it to Plato. I think you shared that quote. So think him, about yeah. that. That's a 3000 year old quote of someone saying that the next generation is not going to be able to hack it. Um, all the things that we've talked about are, are, you know, have validity. Social media is dangerous. It's got benefits, but there's danger associated with it. Um, you know, you see the way our kids communicate. There's a lot of negatives to it, but there's a lot of positives to mm -hmm. it as well, right? They seem to handle social media they better do. than we do. I think that, it, you know, it's again on a graph. You look at people uh, older than us, like our parents. They are the most dangerous people on it, on social media because they think that, you know, if something looks like it's mainstream media, you know, and it says something news, they will take that as a fact. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to start getting into a discussion on what facts oh, are and what they are. We know you do. We know you do. But you, like, I've seen people my parents' generation say, look at this. And it is so obviously fake, but they don't have the skill set to identify that. Whereas someone who's 17 years old will be like, oh my God, that's the most, you know, uh, a simple attempt at, at creating a, a fake news meme. And they can identify that. Um, so I don't know, we're, we're, we're definitely headed into a, a new era, but we always are, right? I, I, I put more value than I ever used to on just sitting back, like the, you know, going to a small fishing village and kind of hanging out and moving yeah. slowly and not really doing much of anything. And in the past, I'd be like, that, like, that seems crazy to me. Like, I, I want nothing to do with that, not even for a half hour. Like, get me out of there, that's nuts. Now I'm like, hmm, there's something to be said for that. And I can see, like your point, because I agree with you, there's, there's definitely, the, you know, there's a, I, I'm a strong believer there's a good side and a downside, bad side to everything. Right. I couldn't see the good side to really removing yourself before and really kind of slowing things down. It just would drive me crazy. And I still have to do stuff. So I'd probably be running up and down. Like I'd be <laughs> doing something. But, but to re just really kind of remove yourself and be out of the loop on everything, I can see the value to that now, which I never really understood before. You I know, think I, I think my dream job. I think I, I don't, Mark. I don't know if I told you this, but I think my dream job is going back to Croatia and building those stone walls and just lifting stones all day and putting those stone walls, rebuilding all those walls, having well, wine. You were physically designed to do. Yeah, that, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I feel like that's just my role. But yeah, so I think we're both coming to that realization now that in our lives, it's just it's age. Like, I think maybe it's age. Yeah. But I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't do it forever. Like I need to be on and off. But but I, I've noticed myself. I can do it now, whereas I couldn't do it before. Like a few years ago, I just couldn't even handle that the, as much. The thing I, I personally don't like about today's world is the fact that I feel people have to live, uh, sorry, work really hard into their late age to have some means to be able to pay for the house that they live in and yeah. get the food that they need. Yeah. And I really think that needs to be corrected. And it's why sometimes I do talk about gold like hard money and Bitcoin as hard money. And the fact that our money system is broken to me is, and we could talk about this another time because we're going to wrap right now, but is the, the, uh, the, the foundation that our economy is built on to me is robbing people of maybe two decades of that time. Because yeah. I think you should be able to start two companies and work really hard for 20 years. And whatever you've built after 20 years should sustain you for the rest of your life. I don't believe you need to work as hard as that some people are going to need to for their entire lives. And you guys are building successful businesses. They're going to yeah. have some savings and you're probably not going to have to do that. 
but a big part of the population is is going to have to do that. And to me, it becomes uh, an, an, econo- an economic foundation problem. Yeah, I, I think it's an injustice. Like, I, I really strongly feel it's an injustice. Like, I think if any of our parents worked and they saved up, you know, the amount of hours they had to work to put in their, you know, to save their $50,000 for whatever they were doing. So our dad was putting up drywall, right? So whatever he had to, however many hours he needed to do to collect that $50,000, over time, he gets robbed of that $50,000. Yes. It bothers me. And yeah. that I feel like that's a real injustice in society. Like you're screwing people. You're outright screwing people because you take the value that he's done now and you just throw it out the window. Right. I know you could just get into such a long discussion. Like, I yeah, fully agree with yeah, you guys, but you know, how do you get yourself into this position and how do you as a society? Out? Yeah. And it's, you know, people are always looking for easy answers. Easy answers are print more money. Give me what I think I need exactly. today and we'll worry about it tomorrow. And we've been doing that for, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever the number is. Right. And I just don't know if you can point to a society that doesn't one day just start looking for easy answers. I think it's human nature. Right, it, it, the stuff that you've gotten me to read uh, and uh, and and watch and stuff like you that. You read something I gave you? I actually don't have. lie. No, no, it's audible, so I'm oh, just listening to it. Say, Holy shit! You read something? Reading John is John bought so... the book. I was gonna give John the book for free. It's the big. Well, I listened standard. to the podcast and yeah, then I went you? right away and bought yeah. it on. Uh, yeah, cool. Amazon. Yeah, thanks, John. Appreciate that. Hey, listen, guys. Reading thank- is so nineties. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for doing this, guys. You guys oh, didn't have to come fun. down and share your yeah. story, so totally appreciate this. Now that we got this one out of the way, I have more to talk to you about. So next time we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, appreciate this, guys. Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, that guys. Was a ton of fun. It was great to be here. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Marco and John. We really appreciate when guys like that will come on and share their stories. Really, any local Canadians who are doing stuff to come on and share their stories so that we can all learn, we think is a big benefit to all of us. I think growing up, I heard a lot of stories from people all over North America and very rarely Canadians who were local to me and Nick who were sharing those stories. So just grateful that they were willing to do that. They didn't have to do that. So totally appreciate it. They don't do that often. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into your own real estate experiences, you can check out a book that we give away for free on one of our websites to help guide you. It's called Income for Life for Canadians. You can get a free download of that book at www.rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's it for this time. Until next time, your life, your terms.